to wonderful ministry. Okay, we are going through on Sunday nights the book of Isaiah. And we are in chapter 45. We are in chapter 45. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. A Bible, anyone? Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we can begin and end the day in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that Father, in in your word, you've given us, it says it's God-breathed, it's useful for building us up for in godliness, Christ-likeness, it's useful for our correction as we were talking about this morning, it's useful, Lord, where to open up our hearts to reveal what's in there, Lord, sometimes things that are not good. I pray in Jesus' name you do that work this evening. Amen. So we finished last week uh, in verse 28 of chapter 44, which says, uh, speaking of the Lord, and actually go back to verse 27, it says, the Lord says to the deep, be dry and I will dry up your rivers. And he says to Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. And thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden treasures, uh, hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. So who is this guy, Cyrus? Who's Cyrus? Well, the context here is the Israelites... The context of this prophecy, even though this prophecy, this is, Isaiah is a prophet, this was given a couple hundred years before Cyrus was even born, Isaiah, who uh, prophesied during the time of Hezekiah and Uzziah, but about 150 years to 200 years before Cyrus was even born, this prophecy was was made, it was written down, 
And the setting here, th- this is actually a prophecy to a people in a future time. And it was to the Israelites who had been removed from Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been destroyed. Israel, because of literally generations of uh, rebelling against the Lord, had been uh, the Lord had warned them. He said, if you keep up this behavior, I will, um, I will take you and uh, exile you. I'll remove you. I'll destroy your temple. And my family and I, I think I m- mentioned that um, we are going, in, we're in Second Chronicles, and it just describes the 55-year reign of Manasseh. And it's so unbelievable reading about Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh... Uh, it says he, he, he consulted spiritists, mediums, conducted witchcraft, put a, brought in sort of pagan statues into, and set them down in the temple like sensual, uh, the sensual, the goddesses of sensuality and fertility. And, 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 and it says of Manasseh that Jerusalem from one end of the other was filled with innocent blood that he shed. This guy Manasseh. He's the one guy um, in the Bible, the only time where I can, you know know how your heart sort of warms when people repent and God restores them? For some reason, with Manasseh, I'm like, I cannot believe. The Lord was merciful on him, but he was. The Assyrian king came into Jerusalem, took Manasseh away, and um, it says they put a fish hook in his nose. That's what the Assyrians used to do. And uh, he repented, and the Lord brought him back to Jerusalem, and he tore down all the bad statues, cleaned out the temple. It's the only time where I'm like, oh, this is tough. But if this doesn't show the mercy of God, I don't know what does. But the Bible says because of just, he reigned for 55 years and the whole nation at the time was just just doing awful things. It says the very things that the people who God removed, the Amorites, before the Israelites moved in, they were doing. Child sacrifice, ritualized prostitution in, the, in, in, in worship, just awful, awful, awful things. And it was because of that that the Babylonians came in. And I'm going to show you a, a, a couple maps in a little while explaining a few of these things. But they, came, they destroyed the temple. They removed the uh, Israelites to Babylon, which was 900 miles away. This guy, Cyrus... The Lord used him for two things. The Lord used him for two things. Even though he was not a Jew, he was the king of the Medes and the Persians. It says, it says in verse 28 of the previous chapter, chapter 44, God says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. And so the Lord does this with kings. The Bible says that he holds the heart of the kings in his hand like a water course. He directs them wherever he wants them to go. And he does this with kings, even kings who don't know him. Now, eventually, Cyrus will know him, but, but he's going to do two things. One, he is going to destroy Babylon, and he's going, God's going to use him to judge Babylon now, that's kind of ironic because Babylon was used to judge Israel, but, <laughs> but uh, the Lord used 
the Medes and Persians and this guy Cyrus to judge Babylon because it's a, the, the, the Babylonians apparently way overdid it with Israel. And so, but that's one thing he did. But the second thing he did is he gave the order to rebuild Jerusalem. And we'll read that tonight. That's in the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And so uh, that's who this guy Cyrus is. Now, in verse 1 here, try to follow me on this. I know all, you know all this history and these different names are a little complicated, but it says, again, it says in verse 1, Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him. So, man, did he subdue nations. Now, um, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are interested in this stuff, but there are lists of nations that he subdued. He subdued the Syrians, the Assyrians, the Arabian, the Cappadocians, the Phrygians, the Lydians, the Carians, the Phoenicians, the Babylonians, the Bactrians, the, the Cilicians, the Sacians. It goes just on and on and on. He also had dominions over the Greek and the Egyptians. He uh, vanquished, said Herodotus, the ancient uh, historian, whatever country he invaded, this guy Cyrus. Now, Again, one of the, the empire, one of the empires that he overthrew was the Babylonians. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor of the Babylonians who came in and destroyed Israel and carried away all the gold and the treasures from Babylon, uh, just had, as had been prophesied by Isaiah, took it all back to Babylon. The, Babylon uh, was one of the empires that, Cyrus took over. So I just wanted to um, actually, if we can get it up here, if I'm not in the way, can we get, is it going to take a little while to warm up here? Is that it? The, so here's the, uh, that's the Persian. There's one more. It's the Babylonian. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, um, lived in Babylon here, King Nebuchadnezzar, that's modern day Iraq, you know, when Saddam Hussein, at the time he was taken over, on an Iraqi coin, one side was Saddam Hussein and the other side was Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he, yeah, that's what Saddam thought of himself. But uh, I don't. Th- he was no uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, uh, he he took over this whole kingdom. Now he what, this is Israel right here. So one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did was he took. Um, oh, here's Jerusalem here. He brought back Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel. He brought them all the way, 900 miles. You can just imagine how long that journey was. Uh, a couple thousand, yeah, 2,500 years ago. Cyrus came from over here and would take over all this and much more. Let's put that one up, Dave. The Persian Empire. Persia is modern-day Iran or Iran. And they just took over all of this in brown, all of this, all of Afghanistan, Pakistan. Pray for uh, Winger. He's in Afghanistan handing out Bibles to Muslims. Um, All of Egypt. So really, what's that? Quintuple the size of the Babylonian Empire? I mean, it was just beyond belief how powerful this man was, this guy Cyrus. Um, so that gives you um, a little idea. Now, I, I want to skip over to chapter 47. We're going to try to cover 
these three chapters this evening, and I was rebuked by my wife last year for rushing through that last chapter, so I, 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 I will try not to rush through a chapter this week, but um, if you go to chapter 47, this actually is the prophecy of Isaiah, remember 200 years before the fact, um, uh, you can you can take this down now. This is in chapter forty-seven. It's the prophecy of Isaiah about the fall of Babylon. Now, at the time this prophecy is given, given Babylon is just beginning to sort of emerge. But Isaiah, looking through a lens into the future, undersees the rise of Babylon and the fact that they are going to be used to judge Israel. That they're going to overdo it. And that God is going to punish this nation. Now, God puts this stuff in beforehand so we can look at it and say, wow, God is real. He puts, he, he, he puts things repeatedly in the Bible that happen, uh, you know, that, that, that prophesy of things to come that are put down and written before they're even uh, come to pass. But it says in verse 1, come down and sit in the dust O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall be no more called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal, remove your veil, take off the skirt, uncover the thigh. That means they're, they're just going to be shamed, taken off the skirt. This is another way of, poetic way of saying they're going to be shamed here. Verse 3, your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness. O daughter of the Chaldeans, you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms. And I was profaned with my people. I have pro profane my inheritance and give them into your hand. You shall show them no mercy on the elder you, elderly. You laid your yoke very heavily. In other words, they way overdid it. Now, there's another example I can think of of, of when the Lord uh, used someone to judge someone else or to do his business, Jehu in the northern kingdom. He said, go eliminate the house of Ahab. And J, because Ahab, he's synonymous. What, what do we say when I say Ahab? What, ooh, Ahab. Ooh, Jezebel. Ooh, that's right. So Ahab, really wicked king. Um, um, and, and, and the Lord used this guy Ahab. Say, go eliminate the house of Ahab. Ahab went and eliminated the house of, rather, Jehu went and eliminated the house of Ahab and then did about 10 times more than that. And that was like a really bad thing because the Bible says the Lord hates violence. He hates it. And Babylon was uh, another example of that. He says, and this, uh, this is, this is, these are two important verses here. He says, therefore, hear this now, you, this is in verse 8 here, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one else beside me. You know, that's the, remember Nebuchadnezzar, how proud he got? Uh, uh, although it was a king after Nebuchadnezzar when Babylon fell, but nevertheless, it's the same spirit. And then it says in verse 9, but these two things shall happen to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance um, of your enchant 
countenance. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside you. So it says in verse 9, it says, in a moment in one day. Now, I'll be very impressed if someone knows where in the Bible that one day is described. Someone got, someone is going to have it. One of you is going to have that. Where is that described, that one day? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Please. Daniel chapter 5. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm still impressed. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5. This is just one of the coolest chapters in the Bible. Um, it, 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 it's, it, it's one of the coolest chapters in the Bible. Uh, Daniel, Daniel is about five or four or five books to the right, or, or about 100 pages to the right. Now, keep in mind, Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would destroy in one day Babylon, in one day. And... Uh, and, and this, this chapter, descri- it may be also be described in Revelation, I don't know, I, I, but it's also described here. And in chapter 5 of Daniel, everyone there in chapter 5? It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for all the thousands of his lords. Now, Belshazzar, I forget what he was. He was the grandson or something of Nebuchadnezzar? I don't remember. But um, he, 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 he held a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of a thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver, which his, I guess his father, but technically it was his grandfather. It, remember that term father is used sometimes for you know, more than a father, great father, great grandfather in the, in the Old Testament. And it says, Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem and the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and the gods of silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand and that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. This is describing this day. It gets better. The king cried out loud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, or the, is it the Chaldeans? Um, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a, a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing. Or make known to the king its interpretation. The king was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed. And the lords were astonished. But the queen, because of the lords of the, uh, and of the king and his lords, uh, rather, because of the words of the king and of his lords, came to the banquet hall and the queen spoke, O king, live forever. Do not let your thought trouble you, nor your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of, uh, of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpretive dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So um, Daniel is brought before the uh, king, and the king said, Can you tell me what these words on the, uh, on the wall are? This hand appeared, and uh, I know I've been drinking a lot, but uh, this is real. And it says in verse 17, I just love this. This is like a bold old saint here. So Daniel answered him and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. Because I don't even want your money. And give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. And then, you know, he he goes on and and he says that, um, you know, he explains to him that, look, there's one God, and by the way, you're completely insulting him. You're getting drunk and worshiping uh, foreign gods while you drink from the vessels of his temple. And then, and then verses 24, so dramatic. Then the finger of the hand were sent from him, and this was written. And so then he's going to say, and this is the inscription that is written. Many, meeny, meeny, tekel of harsin, and this is the interpretation of the word. Meany, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Uh, uh, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Who was the king at the time of the Medes and Persians? Cyrus. Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with a purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom that very night. Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain and Darius the Mede, rather, I'm sorry, it wasn't Cyrus, it was Darius, received the kingdom being about 62 years old. And so Cyrus uh, wound up coming um, after Darius. But um, Darius, but... Um, so this is uh, uh, this is the prophecy that we just read about in in chapter forty seven of the the downfall of the of the Chaldeans. It's just one of the many kingdoms. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, um, the, the the order here, but it's just one of the many kingdoms that uh, Cyrus and his forebears would bring down. It was actually Darius who who took over Israel. But again, prophesied that in one day, in one day, it would be brought down. Now, um, uh, okay, so here's how it works. Cyrus was over the entire kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, and the, the particular area of the kingdom, Babylon, was given to Darius. So Cyrus was, I, I guess, had, was the emperor of the whole thing, and Darius was given that area of, um, of Babylon. But it, it's really interesting because this is, as we, we're getting into more modern history now, this is about 500 B.C., so 
we're beginning to get into an area of the Bible, and Daniel um, as well, and Ezekiel, where you'll see actually there's secular historians talk about these events. Herodotus um, was one of them. I believe he was a Greek historian. He recorded the same type of things about Belshazzar, this reckless party uh, that, he, that he gave, and actually described how Cyrus conquered the city he says he did it by diverting the flow of the Euphrates River into nearby swamps so he's able to get over. But then his troops, according to Herodotus, went in to Babylon and they were only able to enter because the bronze doors of the, uh, of the gates of Babylon had inexplicably, this is according to Herodotus, been left open, unlocked. So, I'm going to try to bring you all back to uh, chapter 45. Look at the middle of chapter 45. This is Isaiah prophesying about Cyrus, who's saying that he'll subdue nations and what? Open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. So here's this prophecy that Cyrus is going to subdue this kingdom and, and something about gates being open and, and not shut. And we have a Greek historian recording the truth of this particular prophecy. Uh, and so, uh, interesting, these various um, chapters of the, of the Bible, you know, all coming uh, together. And uh, it says that, it says at the end of verse 3 in chapter 45, it says, Look, I've called you that you may know that I am the Lord who call you by name and the God of Israel. It says in verse 4, I have even called you by name even though you, don't, you have not known me. Now, later he will. But so that uh, incredible prophecy given 200 years before the fact. Now... Um, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, just to bring in one thing. He was like you would call him a secular historian, but he happened to be Jewish. He was living at the time of something like 50, 70, 70 AD, actually recorded when Rome overtook Jerusalem, spoke um, about Cyrus, that Cyrus discovered one of the reasons that Cyrus uh, was encouraged later to, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt is because he was shown these very words in the book of Isaiah. He was shown. He says, look, your name is in this. And the guy's looking at his name of this, something written 200 years before that he would be used to rebuild Jerusalem. And indeed, uh, that is one of the things that Said, he said, wow, this is just incredible. And so that's one of the reasons he gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem. But anyway, let's, let's just move on here. In verse 4, it says, For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. Verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other, there is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, that there is none beside me. And I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace 
and create calamity. Now, at the time of, in, in, battle, in Babylon, and I believe uh, in Persia as well, uh, yes, in, in, in Persia, they had separate gods for light and separate gods for darkness, separate gods for peace and separate gods for war. And, and he's saying in verse 7, no, there's one God, and I, I, I bring them all about, peace and calamity, light and darkness. And, and so he's just speaking truth into the... He's actually speaking here to this guy Cyrus. And so someone at some point brought this whole prophecy to Cyrus which convinced him to issue the order to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And he's reading here, and God is speaking truth, actually, into this emperor's life. Verse 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands. And I believe in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament, when Paul was sharing with the church in Rome, who apparently had some questions about the fairness of God, he was quoting this verse, shall the clay say to him who forms it, you know, what are you making? So Isaiah's thoroughly quoted throughout the, the New Testament. And Romans chapter 9 is, is one, of the, uh, one of the places. Verse 10, it says, Woe to him who says to his father, what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Meaning, there's some things we won't be able to explain the side of heaven. We are just going to have to trust the Lord and that he knows what he is doing. And in verse 11, it says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and the Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the work of my hands. You, co- you command me. I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretch out the heavens and all their hosts I have commanded. I have raised him up in righteousness and I will direct him in all his ways. He shall build my city, and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord. Very important verse there, verse 13. I'm sorry, I, I, I know there's a lot of information here, but, but so what does he mean when he says here? Remember, he's speaking to this guy Cyrus. What does he mean? Who is he, what does he mean? What city is he talking about when he says, I will direct all his ways and he shall build my city? What city is that talking about? Jerusalem. So turn back with me to Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1, which is about 200 pages to the left. It's before Psalms. It's before Job. It's before Nehemiah. It's before Ezra. Oh, no, I mean, it's, it's not before Ezra. It is Ezra. And now, so the setting of the book of Ezra is that it's, it's after the 70-year reign, a 70-year exile, one, one wave of Jews had gone back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is still in ruins. They, they were living in fear because they were surrounded by their enemies, and lo and behold... Who comes along and or you know and orders actually 
for the city to be rebuilt and the foundation of the temple to be laid, Cyrus, king of Persia, verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, I believe this is... This is um, now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the words of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the... Sp- so Jeremiah also deals with these same prophecies. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kings of earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Someone had showed him, Isaiah, where are we? Chapter 46, is that where we are? Someone had shown him chapter 45, verse uh, verse 13, and he says, as the Lord commanded me, he says here in Ezra 1, 2, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you, all his people? May his God be with, with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. So he's literally telling the people in the city of Babylon, you guys need to return and you need to build this city. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So he's literally telling people to help out the Jews um, and uh, to, to rebuild uh, the, the, the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. In verse 6, it says, And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of gold and silver, a silver and gold. Verse 7, King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by his hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And, and so that stuff was returned. So back in chapter 45, you know, all this... Uh, uh, coming together here uh, with uh, this this prophecy again given two hundred years uh, before uh, the, the the events uh, took place, uh, just an amazing prophecy here uh, in Isaiah chapter forty five in Isaiah chapter uh, forty five. So um, let's go to. Verse 22 here. It just says, this is God speaking, look to me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Now this this is an interesting verse. Look to me and be saved. And I was speaking with... um, um, Dr. Eric here and Tony after church today. And, you know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that describe sort of what happens when a person is saved. For example, Tony was bringing up Acts 2.38 where Peter says, repent and be baptized and uh, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. There's another verse that says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. Uh, Jesus says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him would have eternal life. There's, 
I don't know, literally, dozens of verses. Romans 10 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, 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 and you know, so the question is, what is it? I mean, how, what are the right words to say? And, and the answer to the question is, there are no right words. There are no right words. You put all those verses together, though, you will get a very good understanding of what it is. It's, it's, it's really... It's a heart action before the Lord. Verse 22 says, just all you have to do is look at God. Look to me and be saved. That's it. That's all someone has to do to be saved. Now, of course, something's going on in their heart when they're looking, right? (laughs) There's something going on in their heart. There's a repentance a spirit of repentance, a heart of repentance, a going on in their heart, and they're saying, I'm tired of what I have and what I've always had and, 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 and the life that I've had, and I just want, I, I, I want to look to you, God. And, and I was telling Eric and Tony that the Brooklyn Tabernacle sings this wonderful song. It's just, only a look saved me. The song. Anyone ever hear that song except me? I'm the only one. You girls did when you were real little. But only a look. Oh man, I just just the song is just so wonderful. This this uh, the, the, this guy just belting out the praise to the Lord. That it was only a look. That was all it was. And uh, the guy who sings it, the solo in this song, was a crack addict just running the streets of the, uh, of New York, and he and. And he introduced the song in this way, just telling his testimony. And he said, I'll be honest with you. All it was was a look. That's all it was. Only a look. And I was saved. It says, look to me and be saved, verse 22. All you ends of the earth. Jesus said in John chapter 3, it says, just as Moses rised up, you know, rose up, uh, you know, on his pole, a bronze serpent, and everyone who looked at it and was healed, so everyone who sees Jesus, looks at Jesus, and lifted up, uh, will be saved. And, and it says, um, I have sworn by myself, the w- verse 23, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. In other words, when God... When the word goes out from the Lord, it's not going to return void. And what's the word that's not going to return void? Very familiar verse quoted in Philippians chapter 2. That to me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. And he shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Why don't we take a little time and just flip to Philippians chapter 2. This is one of these verses we should all have memorized because it's a comforting verse. In the New Testament, Philippians, uh, let me see, Ephesians, right? comes after Ephesians chapter 2. Philippians, go to verse 20. Of Philippians, is it verse 20? No, it's before. Man, these new Bibles. I get these new Bibles and I just can't find where I am. What is it? 
So verse 10. So back up, though. Back up to verse 5. Oh, man, I love this chapter. Just love it. Chapter 2. Let, is everyone there? Philippians? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery. I like the NIV, which just says it. he did not, you know, he didn't lay hold or didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped onto or held onto. Seven, but Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That, quote from Isaiah 45, 23, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. By the way, talking to a Jehovah's Witness, if they're ever asking you for a defense of, the, their, of your faith that Jesus is God, oh man, is this one of those verses. Clearly Isaiah is talking about Jehovah. Uh, these, uh, Jehovah God is, is attributed to him in Isaiah chapter 45. And right here it's being attributed to Jesus. Um, clear as clear as day here. But, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's ba- just back in Isaiah 45, verse 23, it says, it adds a little information here, which is good. It says, um, all those, in, at the end of verse 24, who are incensed against him, that their knee shall bow and their tongue shall confess. And the people that have been shaking their fist and their heart toward God, and and, you know, Again, we were talking about this this morning, and I'm guilty as anyone else. You know, you look at people shaking their fist at God and rejecting God. And I mean, some of the blogs now that are just so anti-God. I mean, you know, you go on the Internet and any article that's positive or someone even just thanking God, all of a sudden the bloggers will come in and say, why are you thanking God? He doesn't exist. He had nothing to do with you being rescued out of that burning plane or you be rescued, you know, uh, from that war in Afghanistan. I mean, some poor soldier's trying to thank God and the bloggers are just ripping him to pieces. We need to just take a step back and understand. One, these people, bloggers, may be Apostle Paul's and they may be coming to the Lord. But number two, if they don't, the Bible says... And and verse 23, God says, I have sworn by myself. In other words, this is happening. God swears by his own name that this is going to happen. I mean, that's pretty intense. That every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That he is Lord. Verse, uh, chapter 46 says, uh, how much, uh, what time is it now? 7.54. All right, I have six minutes. Oh, that's so much time. That is so much time. Bell bows down. Nebo stoops. Who do you think Bell and Nebo were? Anyone? 
idols. Idols from what empire? What? Good. The Babylonians. That's absolutely right. Now, why do you say that, James? How about Bel? Bel is short. Belshavar and Nebo, short for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, just like, you know, just like even up to today, you know, just pagan gods, people embedding them in their name. Belshazzar was just, he's named after the Babylonian god Bel, and Nebo is named after the Babylonian, uh, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is named after the Babylonian god Nebo. And says, their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle. Your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beast. That's just referring to this, that when the Babylonians were defeated, how ironic. Their idols, Nebo and Bel, are being carried away by the Medes and Persians. Some kind of god, huh? Doesn't defend you, and then the enemy just takes them away. And I, I don't know about, um, you know, trusting in that God. Verse 2, they stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. In other words, these idols. You know, at one time, Babylonians took Israel into captivity, but now these idols of Babylon are carried somewhere else into captivity. Listen to me, verse 3, O house of Jacob. And all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. You've all seen footprints in the sand, right? Everyone seen that? Footprints in the sand. The, 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 there's this you know, poem about the, these, these, this picture with a poem on it, and the picture has just a single set of footsteps, and, and the poem just says, Lord, you know, the, this, this, you're telling me this is a picture of my life, but there's one set of, uh, of footsteps there, and my life has been so difficult. Where were you? And he says, I was carrying you. I was carrying you. And here, uh, it's actually, actually biblical, that poem. It says, even to gray hairs, even to your old age. I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and deliver you. Verse 8, remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to you uh, to mind, um, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. You know, it's interesting, you know, what he's saying there, declaring the end from the beginning. God is the God of all history. He just, he, 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 he rolls out history. And we've just tonight been through three empires, the, you know, Manasseh, uh, and the Israelites, on to the Babylonians, on to the Medes and Persians. It, from, uh, he declares from the end, the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, uh, things that are not yet done, uh, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pr- pleasure. Verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, meaning he's, this is referring to a king actually, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. He's referring to a bird of prey here. Actually, he's referring to Cyrus, who's going to be called from the east to destroy Babylon. Verse 12, listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are far from righteousness. 
I will bring my righteousness near. It shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Okay. Very good. We will pick up in chapter 48 because we covered chapter 47 already um, uh, at the beginning of the study. So um, uh, amazing how the Lord just has his, um, has his hand on, on, on history, on all of history. And he does even, till, uh, even until, of course, this very day, until the return of Christ where Jesus establishes his kingdom. And we need to look to the future, to his redemption. He is our hope. 